<laughs> no, that's great. I remember that forgetting to <laughs> dismiss the kids. Yeah, that can be a, a bad thing, especially if I go long, right? Hey, I'm, I'm super excited to be here. I love your pastor. Um, I know I say this every time, but I think he needs uh, to hear how much I love him and the encouragement of just knowing um, how he's appreciated beyond uh, just with you. And I'm sure you appreciate him a lot. Uh, I grew up with J.D., uh, or excuse me, I was older and I grew up watching J.D. grow up. And uh, it, it's been a privilege to watch what God has done in his life and is doing um, in your lives through his uh, commitment to Christ. Um, when, he, or when I asked him if he would like somebody to preach... Uh, and this week, it was, I didn't really know what I was going to share, uh, because it is uh, approaching the Christmas season, but it's not really Christmas yet. You know, there's like one more week, and then it really gets in. But we are in the Advent calendar of the church, uh, so Christmas is always uh, in the back of your mind. I mean, it's December, right? I can imagine that you, uh, KU and high school students, are super excited about Christmas break coming, right? No? Did I get a head shake? No? Oh, <laughs> no. I was like, wow, that is unusual. This is a true student here. <laughs> I know that my <laughs> children are very excited uh, for Christmas break, and you should be. Uh, we get very excited at Countryside this time of year because we do uh, the ministry called Journey to Judea. You've probably heard that. I know some of you are even involved with that, and it just it is something that just gets us so excited because we have, the, as a smaller church, and we're a church of about 400, 450 people right now, as a smaller church, we have the opportunity to share the gospel with, I think this year it'll be just under 9,000 people in our community. And that's incredible, right? That's incredible. And so we get uh, very excited about it. It's a, you know, we're involved in telling the story of Jesus it's about the promise of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, and the victory of Jesus. Jesus really is, to use the cliche, the reason for the season. I'm not ashamed of that saying, because he really is the reason. He gives the season all of its meaning, and he is the only meaning in this season. And so we get excited to tell this story um, but we also get excited to tell this story, not just because of Jesus, but because of its ancient roots, its ancient roots. And you've been learning about some of those ancient roots in the book of Genesis. J.D. talked about giving you a break, but uh, you know, you're, you're actually blessed that you have a pastor who loves you enough and is so committed to making disciples who can make disciples that he's not afraid to go and teach the hard things in the book of Genesis. It's a very ancient book, but it is filled with the truth that is ne the necessary foundation for growing up uh, in Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful that he is doing that. As you probably remember, in Genesis 3, these, uh, Genesis, these uh, ancient roots were laid out for us as God gave a promise in the form of a curse to the serpent after the fall. Adam and Eve sinned against God and God came upon the scene and he said, look, one day a descendant would destroy this serpent. One day 
Hope would conquer hopelessness. And one day, a Savior would abolish sin. All of that was wrapped up in the curse leveled at the serpent in that moment. And that is the very beginning of God letting us in on the story of His plan of redemption. For some on that scene, it was a shocking story. Satan was in that scene. Satan had rebelled against God. And Satan had not heard words of grace. He was fallen forever. And God reached out and offered hope to the man and the woman. And that's why we get excited to tell this story. That's why we get excited to tell this story at Christmas. This starts in Genesis, but it carries over into the New Testament. And I want to read you a verse uh, from my passage this morning in 1 Timothy. It's verse 15. Paul says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christmas is not about the manger. It is not about the stable. It is not about the shepherds. It is not about um, the cattle lowing. It is about Christ Jesus coming into the world, yes. But the reason for His coming into the world is what is so important about Christmas. The story of Christmas is truly the story of the greatest gift ever given. The greatest promise ever made. In spite of betrayal and rebellion, God fulfilled a promise in Jesus. But what's amazing about this gift is truly all that God is for us in Jesus. There is a depth of meaning to the salvation that we share in Jesus that we can't even begin to scratch today. So this message is mostly going to be for people who are Christ followers, people who are trusting in the finished work of Jesus for them, who are trusting in Jesus for eternal life. But it is also for you, if you are just here today, just kind of checking out church, or you've been coming for a while like I was years ago, just kind of checking out church, and I only went for one reason, Because my wife was a believer and she wanted to go and I loved her more than I hated God. And so I wanted to be in church. If you're like that, there's something for you here as well. Because what I'm going to share with you is what God is offering you in Jesus. So I want to look at this passage. If you would look with me at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1 verses 12 through 17. I'm going to read, you, you follow along as I read. I thank him, this is the Apostle Paul writing, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. 
but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this time of year, which every year arrives and reminds us of the Savior and his coming. The coming that you describe in Philippians 2 so well that though he enjoyed the glories of heaven and continuous worship and service by the holy angels, that he left that to come here. To be born under the humble circumstances of a baby, God, that overwhelms us and amazes us. To grow into a man who was destined to suffer death on our behalf. God, we are overwhelmed by the truth of that. God, I pray now that you would help me to communicate just a little bit of the depth of this salvation that is ours in Jesus. You are so much for us in him. And God, we pray that you would do that this morning through the power of your word and by the presence of your spirit. And we pray this for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen. You know, there are six wonderful gifts that I see in this passage that are related to the greatest gift that we have in Jesus. All of them are found within him. You, I could have used the metaphor of, of seeing these as different facets in the diamond uh, which is Jesus. I could have talked about them as benefits, but because of this time of year that it is, I want you to see that they are wonderful gifts that are the result of God's gift to you in Jesus. And the first one is found in verse, first, or verse 13. Verse 13. And it, it is this gift. This is God's gift to you. Mercy. Mercy. Though formerly, Paul says, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. What Paul deserved was the wrath of God. What Paul received was the mercy of God. And he was overwhelmed by that. And he wanted Timothy to understand this about him. I'm sure Paul had shared his story, but he was reiterating this to Timothy because Timothy had been left in a very difficult ministry position. He was facing some very difficult opposition, false teaching in the church itself. He was under a lot of pressure, and Timothy was often very timid. And Paul had to remind him of the great benefits and blessings, the great gift that God had given in Jesus. And he said, Timothy, let me share my story with you. I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy. Say, how is that encouraging to Timothy? Because Timothy is ministering to blasphemers, persecutors, and insolent opponents. And one thing Paul is saying is if, I don't want you to give up on them, Timothy. I don't want you to fall underneath their pressure and fail to do the call, the ministry and the calling that God has given you because God may want to extend mercy to them as well. 
Don't give up. But I think what Paul is really trying to get at here is he wants to communicate to Timothy the amazement that a holy God would ever demonstrate mercy to people like Paul or to people like Timothy or to people like us. Now, I wasn't like Paul in the sense of I didn't persecute uh, the church physically. I mean, Paul, I don't know what you know about him, but you should read Acts chapter Uh, Acts really 9 and on, and you get kind of the story of Paul's uh, ministry and conversion. But right before that, uh, he is involved in the stoning of Stephen, one of the early members of the church, one of the early possible deacons of the church. And Paul is right there at the stoning of Stephen, offering his approval as he gathers the coats of people. And he gets so excited about this death of this member of the way, these Christ followers, he gets so excited about it that he gets permission from the religious leaders in Jerusalem to go and round up others, others in the area who might follow this way. Let's bring them all under judgment. I can, just, he, I can almost see him frothing at the mouth with excitement because he thought he was serving God. Paul said, I was a blasphemer a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy. And this was huge. This was huge because Paul knew his Old Testament very well. Paul understood that people had watched the ground open up underneath their feet and swallow them whole because of their sin against God and against God's leaders. Paul understood he had read his Old Testament and he knew that God had sent serpents to bite, infect, and kill people who were in opposition to the good news of the coming of the nation of Israel. Oh, and he understood that people could be stoned, stoned for what they believed about God if it was untrue, what they said about God if it was misleading. Paul understood that, but even more so, he understood that he deserved the full force of the wrath of God, and he said, I have received mercy. Now, you might be sitting there saying, well, you know, I've been a Christian most of my life. I got saved at four. I think that's when my son got saved at four, uh, pretty young. I'm saying maybe the, the worst thing I ever did before um, I knew Jesus was uh, I punched my sister in the arm and I stole her favorite toy and hid it under my bed or chucked it out the window. Or you, you might be saying, teenagers, the worst thing I ever did was lie to my parents, like really lie to my parents, like, Lie about sneaking out at the, of the house. Lie about hanging out with people I know, don't, I know they didn't want me to hang out with. Um, but that doesn't sound anything like what this guy did. And that doesn't sound anything like you, Pastor Otto. You were an atheist. And the only reason you wanted to come to church was because of your wife, not because you were interested in God. I want you to remember this. When Paul says that he received mercy, you received the same mercy and in the same measure because it cost Christ Jesus an infinite penalty to pay for your sin, whether it was simply 
punching your little sister in the arm out of anger, lying to your parents, doing something that you shouldn't be doing and you know you shouldn't be doing, do you realize that God's judgment upon that would be wrath for all of eternity? And Christ stood in your stead. He stood for you so that God could extend to you Mercy. You may think you were not like Paul, but you could have been like Paul. You should be thanking God that maybe he saved you from a life like Paul. Sometimes we're not thankful enough for our salvation because it is not, um, it's not glamorous enough. Man, I wish I had a testimony of being an atheist, being saved. You know what? I wish I didn't have some of the stuff in my life that I have to remember, recall, and replay over and over and over and pray that God will help me forget and that I can feel the sense of forgiveness because I experienced those things. Sometimes it might have been easier to be saved at four. That's a much more glamorous testimony to me. God extending mercy to a four-year-old. You know, this is, the Bible is pretty clear on what we were um, before Christ. And this is all of us, whether you're four, whether you're 44, whether you're 84, uh, this is true of you. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, you were dead, you were dead, or chapter 2, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Ephesians 2, 1, verse 12 says this, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Paul says, this is who you were, church. You were separated from God. You were his enemy, his enemy. But then in chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You are light in the Lord. Peter has a little bit of light to shed upon this as well. In 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, he says this in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Only by mercy do you have a relationship with God. Only by mercy. And that should be an incredible source of strength for you. It's an incredible source of comfort for you. That is a precious gift. This is God's gift to you, mercy. There's more here, though. This is also God's gift to you, transforming grace. It's in verse 14. Look at verse 14 with me. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Grace overflowed. That word can mean abundant, right? More than sufficient, abounding, or we might say in our day, grace on steroids. This thing was overflowing the banks. When the Kansas River overflows, you don't want to be anywhere around it because if you're in a floodplain, you're in trouble. That's the kind of grace that Paul is talking about here. He's overwhelmed by the mercy that God extended to him, meaning that he didn't get what he deserved. And now he is saying, and what's even more amazing is that I received something that I did not deserve. And that was God's 
Grace, incredible grace. This verse, coupled with the one before it, are truly amazing when you look at how they are laid out. I mean, look at, look at verse 13 and verse 14 together. Paul is saying, here's who I was, a man of hatred and unbelief, and suddenly I became a man of faith and of love. God transformed me by his grace, Timothy. Timothy, God's grace can transform anybody in your church, and God wants his grace to transform you to make you into the pastor that he's called you to be, to be the man of God in the situation in which he's called you to play the man of God. He wants that for you, Timothy. He's doing that for you. He did that for me, and he will do it for all the people in your church. That's God's gift to you, transforming grace. Paul recognized this gift in many of the churches uh, that he ministered in or planted He wrote this to the church at Ephesus, again in Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, Paul says, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. So why did Paul give thanks for the Ephesian believers? Because God had taken people who were haters of God and haters in unbelief, and he turned them into People who are filled with faith and love. That's transforming grace. God giving you what you do not deserve. It's amazing. You know, if, I, if you know Jesus, I hope you look at your life like this. I hope you can see the work of God to transform you. I hope you can recognize where you were and what you could have been and who you're becoming. Because it is, it is marvelous. God has done something marvelous. He has changed you and he is continuing to change you. You are to pursue that change with eagerness. A stronger, deeper faith, a greater, richer love, because God is eager to supply it by His grace. It overflows, not just to even the score or level the playing field, meaning you just got enough to balance it, balance out your former hatred and your unbelief. No, it overflows. God's end goal is that your lives might be marked by more faith and love than you ever could have hated or disbelieved. God wants to do that in you. And that is God's gift to you. His transforming grace. But what else is here in this passage? Verse 15. We also see that God's gift is an empowering humility. There is an empowering humility in this gift of Jesus to us, Timothy, Paul is saying. The saying is trustworthy, verse 15, and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. This was a confessional statement of the early church. It's one of its early apologetics. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If you couldn't confess that statement, you could not be baptized into the early church. And Paul says, look, this is trustworthy, Timothy. 
And I, I see myself as the foremost of sinners. This truth that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners humbled Paul. It humbled him. We need this empowering humility. The goal of this humility is not timidity. You say, man, when I think about myself like that, that I could be in the same category as a guy who called himself the worst of sinners, that God sees all of the stuff that I try to hide from everybody else, that I try to hide from even myself, God sees it. He knows it. He knows the thoughts that I have that I try to shove aside. He knows them. And that can become overwhelming. I don't want you to misunderstand Paul here. He wasn't overwhelmed by this idea. He was empowered by this idea. That's what he's saying here. He wants you to have the type of confidence that a proper humility is supposed to generate in you. Paul had it. I mean, he had it. You're like, well, I don't, I don't see it there, man. Uh, I see it to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Where is this uh, proper humility or this empowering humility, this confidence? It's in the verse I skipped earlier in verse 12. In verse 12. At the very end of verse 12, Paul says something really interesting. I want you to listen to the whole verse. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Does anything jump out at you from that verse? There's something that jumps out at me. He judged me faithful? There's something good in Paul? Really? Jesus looked at Paul and saw him as faithful? After what this guy has just told us? That's arrogance. That's not just confidence. That's arrogance. You misunderstand Paul. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 7. There's a word translated trustworthy in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 25 that is translated faithful in your Bibles in 1 Timothy 1. Paul says this. He's talking to a situation regarding marriage. He says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. You see, when Paul saw himself as the worst of sinners and he understood the Lord's mercy to him and he understood that he had been covered in the faithfulness, the trustworthiness of Jesus, he could say, Jesus gave me this ministry because he looked upon me and said, Paul, I've covered everything, man. You were a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, and I have covered it. You are trustworthy. Now go. Paul says, Christ is so merciful to me. I'm trustworthy because of his mercy, his grace, his love. That's an empowering humility. Yes, you are fallen. And yes, Jesus wants to raise you up. He says, I don't want to raise you up in your own strength. I don't want to raise you up in your own image. I don't want to raise you up to exalt who you are. I want to raise you up so that I can, I can exalt myself in you. And for Paul, that's all he needed. And he would encourage us. We need that. We live in a culture that is beginning to 
come at us from every side. And God has given us a very difficult task in this culture. I kind of feel like the prophet Isaiah. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, read Isaiah 6 someday. The prophet Isaiah, that he'd been given a very difficult task to say some very difficult things to people who didn't want to hear them. And God has said, I want you to go to all the world and I want you to preach the truth of Jesus in love. Now, sometimes you may want to preach in hate, but you shouldn't. You shouldn't. You know why? Because you're to represent your God. And he comes with mercy and grace. He offers that. You can't control how people handle that. And you have to trust that God will deal with it in his time. But this gift of empowering humility, seeing yourself for who you are without Christ, who you were without Christ, and now seeing yourself for who you are in Christ should be empowering. With Jesus, I, I can do anything. Or in Jesus' own words in John 15, without me, you can do nothing. That's an empowering humility, and it's a gift to you in your salvation in Christ. Let's look at another of these gifts. Verse 16, God's gift to you of restoration. God's gift to you of restoration. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him. For eternal life. Paul said, God showed me mercy for this reason. Earlier he had said, I received mercy because I acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And God showed me this mercy for this very reason. That I acted ignorantly and in unbelief. So that he might display his perfect patience. Through me. In me. Hmm. Jesus wants to use my salvation, Paul is saying, my deliverance, my blessing as a display of his glorious character. And he wants to use that display of himself to bless others. To bless others. Remember God's words to Abraham? 11 weeks ago, your pastor preached in Genesis 12 about the calling of Abraham. Remember those words? God told Abraham, I'm blessing you that all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Can you see the connection from Abraham to Paul, from Genesis through the New Testament, now to you? Your pastor shared this quote with you from John Stott. He said this, the promise of these blessings, or wait, I was going to say, see if you can remember the promise of these blessings. My handwriting's a little bad here. The rest of the Old Testament, here's the quote. The rest of the Old Testament and the whole of the New Testament are the outworking of the promises to Abraham. They are the outworking of the promises to Abraham. Jesus was that promise of blessing to come. In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Paul understood that 
there would be great blessing to others through Jesus. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. Paul was blessed to be a blessing. You have been blessed to be a blessing. God has restored in you the capacity to be used by Him to bless others. To be used by Him to bless others. But there is something central to this that you have got to understand. And it's found in this verse. God is restoring something even greater than your ability to bless people tangibly. You know, like serving them or giving them money that you have or a car that you have a little extra of. He, he, he wants to go deeper with this truth. This verse is revealing so much more about this blessing. The, it's the ability to bless others as a display of God's image in you, his character in you, his patience. Paul says, God, for this reason, that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his patience. Paul said he wanted to start using me in the world as an example to others of what his grace and mercy actually looks like. To bless through reflecting God to the world. Remember, this is what was lost at the fall, right? I know your pastor taught you that. In Genesis 3, and I know he taught you that you were originally created to reflect and be the image of God in the world from Genesis 1. I know that. And the beautiful news of this is that God extends mercy to people like Paul. God extends mercy to people like me. God extends mercy and grace to people like you that he might again display that image of Jesus in you and through you to others. Paul used this idea to challenge the church to move beyond what seems expedient, to do what's right with similar words in Colossians uh, chapter 3. You don't have to turn there if you, because I'm going to read it to you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Paul says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. He would also use this same reasoning to challenge the church in Ephesus to stop living only for what feels right and for what I want, but to live as the image of God in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 22. It says, as the truth is in Jesus, you were taught as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is God's gift of restoration to you. In the church, God wants you to display His love and His grace in you and through you to each other. Serving God is more, it is much more apparent when you are serving others in relationship. You know, sometimes we think serving God is uh, maybe just about making sure I have, uh, I, I have private prayer time with Him and, do, and reading 
um, his words. I'm, I'm the servant of God, but God's calling you to so much more. He's calling you to take your prayers and to take his word and then to start using them in the life of the church because he wants his image to be seen in you and through you. But he also wants you to display that image in the world around you and to use you to declare through both truth right, and love or word and deeds his glory. His love and His grace. But there is some final gifts in this passage of, regarding the great gift of salvation that I want you to see. And they are the bookends to this passage. They are the bookends. The first one we'll look at is in verse 17. Verse 17. Paul says, To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. When Paul was overwhelmed by great truth about God, something welled up within him, and it was worship. Worship. God's gift to you in salvation is a reason to worship. You don't sing on Sunday just because Carrie starts singing, or the guitar or the drum starts playing. You sing out of worship for what God has done. The reason you are here is to praise him and to sit at his feet and hear from his spirit deep in here. Not just my words, but what God is saying to you through his word to your very heart. He wants to take that truth and apply it so that you can be overwhelmed with that truth and exalt his name in worship. All of this that God has done, His mercy, His transforming grace, His restoration was so that you might become the worshiper that you were created to be. You were to worship with your life by declaring the image of God in the world, Adam. And you were to worship God through praising Him as you had conversation with your wife Eve. But all of that was lost at the fall. And God looked down on that day and said, You know what? I'm not giving up on this project, Satan. You haven't defeated me. You haven't even come close. What you've actually done is walked into a trap that I set for you to display my infinite glory because I'm going to extend mercy and grace. And I will see a people restored to my image. And I will see people who are called to worship me, worship me again. I will. And he has. And I want you to remember that every time you come into this room. Every time you stand to exalt God. I want you to remember this salvation. This salvation that cost Jesus everything. And I want it to overwhelm you and fill you and give you a heart of worship I want it to be the reason that you show up every Sunday morning. Because you need this so that you can go out there and be the type of person Paul is encouraging Timothy to be in the world. To be the type of person that Paul spent every day being after being called to be an apostle. That's one of the bookends. But there's another bookend. And this fits very nicely with what I just said. It's in verse 12. The gift of God to you is a call to serve. Paul understood this. He said, I thank him who's given me the strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. You're like, oh man, Whew, you scared me there for a second. 
I thought you, were, you said, I was called to serve. I see Paul called to serve. I don't see me called to serve there. The problem is that Jesus left you marching orders. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. You've been called to serve in word and deed. You've been called to serve by giving to the cause. You've been called to serve to see that the gospel spreads to all the world. You have been called to serve. You may not be called to be an apostle. You may not travel around and plant churches. But God has you planted in a workplace, and he has called you to serve. God has you planted in a neighborhood, and he has called you to serve. God has you planted in a family, and he is, because he has called you to serve. God has you planted at a school, because he has called you to serve. And that is a gift. You're like, dude, that don't sound like no gift to me. That sounds scary to me. It is a gift because you were formerly a hater in unbelief. And God says, you know what? I've made you worthy to serve. Now get out there and tell other people about me and what I'm offering to them. Get out there and demonstrate to the community around you who I am. Let them see me in you and through you. Let them hear about me. Let them see what it really means to treasure your salvation. That is God's gift to you. You know, Christmas is a great time to meditate on all that God is for us in Jesus. And to display that and to declare that truth because Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus truly is the greatest gift ever given. But when you start looking inside the box, which is the gift of Jesus... There are so many other treasures in there. This gift is more than you think. It's the gift of mercy, transforming grace, empowering humility, a restored purpose, a reason for worship, and a call to serve. Have you opened up the gift? I pray you do this Christmas. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for the Apostle Paul and his great words. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God, our hearts are consumed this time of year with the coming of Jesus. May we truly begin to understand all that you are for us in Jesus. God, drive these things deep into our hearts. We need them each and every day. God, when we're beaten down, lift us up in Jesus. Help us to see ourselves the way you see us covered in Jesus. God, when we are in sin, extend mercy and show grace to us by sending people to show us our sin or using your word to confront our sin. God, do this. Teach us to love it and treasure it and appreciate it. Father, I pray that this room would be consumed with what you have given them. 
God drive that so deep into their hearts that they cannot help but worship you and you alone when they walk into this place. And God made that worship overflow into their community as they serve you. God, I pray they would have a, a hunger, a thirst, and a desire to see Jesus exalted in Lawrence, Kansas. And you have chosen to do that through them, and I pray you would fill them with confidence and boldness and words to say and deeds to do that communicate your glory. God, you love to use your church to exalt your name, and I pray you use Redemption Hill Church in this wonderful community to see lives transformed and people changed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.